I'd rather have as much as I can in the, in the very best company in the space than a lot more ownership in some kind of like, you know, fifth best player in a, in a nice to have space. And we're out of the 2021 kind of phase and back into the flight to quality. Behind the scenes, it was a small group of people that were doing everything. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I want to know how this insane growth actually happened. What are you doing when no one's around, no one's looking? Are you just showing up and doing the minimum? Or are you approaching it like a pro? Be a student of the game. This episode is brought to you by Common Room. Common Room enables you to turn any buyer activity into pipeline. Essentially, it ingests all of your product usage data, intent data, social activity, community conversations, and CRM insights to automatically surface high intent leads and timely relevant context. So your sales reps can convert more customers and hit revenue targets faster. Highly suggest you go check it out. You can actually try it out for free today or book a demo to go deeper at www.commonroom.io. Again, that's www.commonroom.io. Go check them out. Hello and welcome back to the GTM podcast. Not sure if I'm allowed to say this anymore, but I'm going to throw it out there. Happy New Year. This is going to be a fun one. Just got back from a great offsite down in Scottsdale with my man, Max Altschiller. Max, welcome. We haven't had you out in the pod in a little while. It's been a minute. Yeah, it was great having the team out here. Scottsdale, Arizona last week. Got a ton done. Did some cool team bonding stuff. Got everybody up in Camelback Mountain. Did a little putting, a little pop stroke, which was a lot of fun. Turns out Sophie is a naturally gifted putter. So see if that trans- translates to the golf game over over time. I heard you and her are going to start, start training hard up in Vancouver. So that's fun. Get into the sim because it's too cold outside. But yeah, it was a great, great week. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And naturally, uh, me and Paul completely tied on the the putting course. So there's always no shortage of competition and got the exact same number. But yeah, I got to get in the golf tech sim, going to LA in two weeks to go play some golf with Wes and the Flex team. Should be super fun. But man, I wanted to bring you on. Haven't had you on in a little while. You've been working like a madman and... You know, we've just had our heads down. It's been a a pretty wild year. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time looking back because you and I probably could do better at looking back. I think we're always focused on the future and plans, but a lot happened in 2023. So I wanted to start there, quick look back on 2023, and then I'm going to try and tease out some predictions for 2024, kind of on the broader tech landscape, as well as kind of go to market and, and where we might be heading. But man, you look back at 2023, what were some of the, the highlights for you? Oh, wow. We did a lot. Obviously moved over from a rolling fund to a standard fund, traveled around the globe. I think between the team, we've covered quite a bit of ground, China, Singapore, London, Ireland, all around the United States, Canada. I think a couple of us actually went to Mexico on vacation. So we've got a lot of miles, 15 new investments from last year. That was out of 700 deals that we saw. So, you know, we do quite a, quite a bit of whittling that down, over 300 GTM leader LPs and ramp members in the network. Well, that's pretty incredible. What else would you add to that? Hired two people, able to, you know, hire Amit Alani, who was uh, interning for us. Now he's a full-time analyst. He's 
just getting up to speed really, really fast. And then, you know, highlight for me was, you know, bringing on Sophie to run our, our marketing as our first, you know, VP of marketing to really handle the, the media entity that we bought this year as well. So we, we left out that we bought a company. Yeah. (laughs) That was a big one. Those couple months were pretty, pretty hectic to say the least of, you know, running the fund and then also rebranding and relaunching to GTM now. But it's really cool to see that now just picking up, picking up steam and, and growing in all the right directions. And we moved into our first office up here in, in Vancouver, Canada. I never thought I'd be a proponent of in-person over remote, having worked remote with you and the sales hacker and outreach team for so long, but fuck man, really energizing. And I, I love being in here. If someone can beat me into the office, I'm pumped and seeing people, you know, collaborate and do great work together is, is pretty cool. And we drag you up here from time to time, even uh, though it's yeah. too cold for you. Yeah, it's too cold for me. Yeah, Pat, Pat, hard pass. Why can't you guys been born in Cabo or something like that? I, <laughs> I'd prefer to go down there, but it's a good, the remote thing is a good segue into our predictions for 2024. So we've got a couple here that we'll dive into. I'd say, you know, five at least, maybe a couple bonus ones that we end up teasing out. But yeah, I think remote will be pretty much a thing of the past for most companies, most sizable companies. I think the small companies like ours can still kind of kind of hack it a little bit. And there are certainly exceptions to the rule, but I don't think it's working that well. I think people need to be in person. And I think it works for a small subset of folks. I mean, if you look at like the the winners from remote work, it's people who have been in the workforce for a while, have already kind of learned by osmosis, learned the ropes in their profession. They're already well connected and well networked and and already like well respected by their peers. They've got maybe larger houses in the suburbs and you know have like a dedicated workspace or office. And they were, you know, maybe typically commuting before that. So it makes their lives even easier. And you look at the flip side of that, and you've got some of these, let's call it like the SDR role that was probably impacted the most or like early, like junior marketing roles. I mean, a lot of these people live in the city because that's where like a social life is for people of that age. And they're in a three bedroom apartment with three roommates. And so their bedroom is their office. You know, if they're lucky enough to have a bedroom on their own, they don't get to learn by osmosis. I think one of the best thing you can do in a, in a GTM role is being amongst your peers in person, especially in a sales role where you get to turn around and say like, Hey, how do you address you know, this budgetary concern or like, oh, wow, like I just got to hear you on the phone on that call. That was really great. I'm going to try it too. Like there's just so much of that. And also being seen is so much of kind of the job in a lot of those cases. Like you get a much longer leash if you're the first one in, last one out. It's hard to do that as remote. And then, you know, you really need self-starters, high agency people who are who are going to be remote employees. And it's a very different type of employee. So I, I do think we're coming out of this COVID, you know, it's okay to be remote type thing. And you're seeing, you know, a lot of companies address it right now on social media. Some not do it very well. Like that WebMD video was horrendous. And, you know, I'm sure somebody will be let go because of it because that was ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if this is going to be here to stay in mass the way it, we thought it was. And you're already seeing a, co- a bunch of companies go out of business, you know, or wind down that were focused on serving the remote demographic. At the same time, one thing that I, I think won't go away is offshoring. I think we, we, we continue to do a lot more offshoring. So engineering and support roles, at least to places like India 
Singapore, Mexico, you name it, Sri Lanka, where, where, where have you, Colombia. I think there's a lot more offshoring to happen. I think there's really good engineering talent out there. There's really good support folks who speak you know, English really well in these areas, and it ends up just being a lot cheaper for organizations uh, for certain roles. So we'll see where that, where that leads, but those are my thoughts on kind of remote work and offshoring. <coughs> I tend to agree, for sure. The only like slight tweak I would put there is, from my perspective, I think it's, you mentioned that maybe startups can get away with it. I actually think it's more important for startups to be together in, a, in an office. And I think some of these bigger companies that maybe have more systems and process built out and have hyper-specialized roles, I think they might be able to get away with it. You know, the Amazons, the Googles of the world. As long as you're not in a cross-functional collaborative role, like maybe a, a marketer could be. But if you're just like an engineer or some of these things, I think they can get away with it. But I don't know. The more we have people in person, the more I think about the f- last week we had and, and in office. Like if I had to pick, you know, there's the old question of if you had to get your competitor to be either remote or in person, what would you rather them be? And when you frame it like that, you're like, I'd want them to be remote. And then what does that tell you? You can can extrapolate that out. That tweet and psychology right there. Framing it that way was, Mm -hmm. the overwhelming majority was like, yeah, we're remote. Okay, cool. So M&A, this is the next one. I think M&A is going to continue to accelerate. It is wild. How many companies raised money in 2020, 2021, 2022 that are coming back to market right now and running out of cash and don't have the metrics to, to raise more money? So I do think that M&A will ramp up. You know, the Figma Adobe deal should have no impact at all. That was a, a deal that would have created a monopoly, a $20 billion monopoly at a 45x multiple I think those are few and far between. You know, I still think even like a Slack deal would happen, whereas Adobe and Figma is kind of like a special edge case here. You won't see as many of those types of, of M&As happening, but I think there are plenty of tuck-ins, plenty of 30, 50, 100, $250 million tuck-ins, things like that. I think we'll be surprised at how many of them don't clear the preference stack and, you know, nobody makes money on them. So it'll be... um It'll be an interesting year for all that, but I think there are a lot of opportunities for some of these companies that are doing well and are a bit bigger or have, you know, cash buffers to to go out and, you know, add on some new SKUs, add on some new tech, add on some new teams. Well, I think this will be the year. This will be the year it all starts. And do you think that'll be driven, you know, you mentioned Adobe, like larger tech companies. Do you think it's going to be driven from large tech companies or private equity, most of the M&A activity? Both. I actually think, the larger tech companies may not be the biggest players here. I think it'll be the smaller, like slightly post IPO or maybe some pre IPO ones that have, you know, really strong businesses and a bunch of cash in the bank still from the, the previous round that they raised. And it'll find a way to kind of expand their skew. Like Miro should be a buyer. I think they did just acquire a company, but like that'd be a perfect company where it's a healthy business. Even Figma, super healthy, healthy business. Clavio is another example of this. Healthy businesses, profitable businesses, they can get a lot out of a $30 million or $50 million tuck-in. Whereas a company, Adobe size, I mean, that doesn't do anything for them. They have to go buy Figmas. They have to go buy mm-hmm. big companies. Same thing with Salesforce and some of the other ones, like I, I think you'll see more like activity from a Zoom info than some of the, the massive companies. It just makes sense. So yeah, we'll see. And then, uh, you know, on the same note there, you know, third prediction, IPO window reopens. 
the bar has gone way up. You know, it used to be about 200 million ARR. Didn't, didn't matter if it was profitable. Rule of 40 was a thing. Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know, 500 million ARR or more. Profitable, 30% plus growth, multiple SKUs, uh, you know, a really professionally set up organization to take them to the next level. And I think a lot of companies are holding out on IPOing for a while just to get kind of the shop in order and make sure they're hitting those numbers. But at a certain point, there's going to be really no other options. They're going to have to go out. And I think we'll see the stripes of the world, the Databricks, you know, some of these ones that have been kind of standing at the doorstep for quite a while, you know, finally take that leap. So hopefully by the end of this year, the IPO window opens back up. And that'd be great for the ecosystem. I mean, we need, li- we need liquidity to come back. Venture capital and, you know, all the LPs need to start seeing some money come back. They can't just go all out. So you need to unlock the IPO market for that to happen and the M&A market. But a lot of those M&A deals are just going to be cash back if you're lucky. So who do you think is going to have the first really successful IPO of 2024? I mean, Stripe or Databricks make the most sense. At this point, I think they're the, they're the two everybody's waiting on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, we just, I feel like we just need one to go really well. And then it's going to change all the sentiment and, and get people feeling less yeah. nervous about pulling the in the trigger. So going back to your, your first prediction, you mentioned it'd be tough to be an SDR, BDR uh, who's working remote. There's been a lot of talk over really the last like two years. You know, people beat this drum all the time. Outbound is dead. What do you think happens with the SDR function in 2024 and kind of outbound in general? I mean, people have been saying like cold calling is dead, cold emailing is dead, all that kind of stuff for like a decade now. And I don't know, I mean, it's, it's still... It's still still clearly working for a lot of companies. So I don't think there's a such thing as like outbound is dead SDRs, you know, or is a, a thing of the past. Everything's all this AI enabled, all this, all this other whatever. I do think that technology is augmenting the reps more than ever before, especially with AI. I think what you end up getting with that, if you're not careful, is just more of the same. And so you do have to find ways to stick out. I also think that in 2022 and 2023, Everyone was rebalancing internally, and so nobody was buying. So it didn't really matter how you were reaching out to people. If nobody's buying anything, you're you're not going to have a good time, right? So I do think in 2024, some of that comes back. People are like, okay, we've we've righted the ship, we're out of the swells, and you know we can get back to to thinking about growth and growing the business and doing it responsibly. And they did their cuts and they did whatever else. And they got to a point where it's like, okay, now we're running at, you know, you know, break even or cash flow positive. So they can come back to a point where they can start reinvesting in the business. And I think, you know, we'll start seeing outbound and the SDR be more productive in 2024 than they were in 2022 and 2023. But but AI is a is a big piece of it. I think it needs to be used the right way. I think it'll be, you know, the right way means better targeting. The right way means better messaging, but not just all the same messaging. The right way means smoother and faster in the rep's workflow. So yeah, I'm excited for the SDR role and for sales in general in 2024. 2022, 2023 were tough. It was the kind of the years of optimization and cost cutting inside of organizations and less about investing in kind of innovation and growth. So hopefully we're coming out of that and enabling a little bit more of a economic spark for, for some of these companies. Yeah. I think SDR teams are definitely going to lean into the new functionality in AI. They're going to learn how to use it right. And then I think another trend is, you know, we're going to see the continued rise of like ecosystem-led growth. So we're going to enable our SDR teams, our BDR teams to help us build networks, help analyze, understand those networks, 
provide value to those networks, and then find ways to solve problems that turn into revenue. And I think finally, we have tools like Cabal and Crossbeam that can enable kind of this partner-led, ecosystem-led growth, which I think will be a big part of 2024. You opened the AI wormhole, so we'll quickly, we have to touch on that. Who do you think the biggest winners of the AI revolution are in 2024? You know, I don't know who the biggest winners are going to be. I think like the, the good money, at least from a venture bet, is in AI infrastructure and vertical AI. There's There are plenty of use cases for AI and all these kind of edge niche industries that haven't had any innovation in a very long time. And so we're going to see that. And, you know, that's certainly an area that we, we personally look to invest. Also, AI infrastructure, you know, one of our biggest investments is a company called Writer. So, you know, we feel really good there. But I'm also, I'm, I'm not one of those rapper, like a GPT rapper haters, at least not in a blanket approach. I think there are plenty of really smart founders that can use that as a wedge to a larger platform and, you know, build a, a solid workflow that allows people to get a ton of value out of, you know, leveraging the wrapper and then turning that into something much bigger. Where, where I get stuck on the whole kind of wrapper thing, and I think a lot of people do, is when it's, it's something that can be easily, easily cannibalized by GPT just deciding, okay, we're now going to turn on this like little tiny feature and then your company goes away. And also by the founder not really understanding how this wrapper or this you know, first product is a wedge to a larger platform. And it's pretty clear and usually the early conversations that you have where it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is it. I don't know where it goes from here versus this is it, but here's the, the bigger, you know, the, the bigger concept that we're, we're going after. And so it's really important to kind of pay attention to that. But I, I do think AI will continue to amaze and excite. I don't think the luster is really going away. I think just more and more is coming out faster and faster. And so it's, that's really cool. We're in a comp- companies like Simplified and Tavis and a few others that leverage it for GTM. So yeah. It's an exciting space. It'll continue to get more exciting. Yeah, it's going to be fun to to watch it play out. And I'll just, yeah, reiterate kind of what you said with a slightly different spin. I think like broad strokes, there's going to be these horizontal platforms that benefit from a lot of proprietary actions being taken in their system that it further accelerates their the quality of their LLM. So you'll have these like horizontal or general applicable LLMs. And then you'll have these hyper niche verticals that are training a model in usually an unsexy, forgotten about industry on something very specific that you have to have a learned experience from. You have to have spent 15, 20 years in agriculture or you know, insurance to figure out how to train these platforms correctly. But it's going to be exciting times, lots of things in the works. Well, I think to, to tie a bow on it all, you know, last and final prediction is a flight to quality continues. So what do I mean by that? Well, you know, in the past, in the in the venture capital funding game, you've had you know the fifth best company in the like nice to have category raise a seed, an A, a B, and a C. And when you've got you know Tiger and Insight and all these other funds that are twenty and twelve billion dollar funds, there's enough money to go around to do that. But when those funds are two billion dollar funds and three billion dollar funds, and things get tighter you're going to see very few companies in nice to have categories get funded even through their you know series a and b and and anywhere near that and even in need to have categories instead of you know 10 companies being funded in it you might only get you know the top 3 funded so i think we're going to continue to see a flight to quality 
for a very long time here. I think we're restarting the cycle in, in especially in this area. And, you know, we'll see as these funds get bigger, maybe that kind of, maybe all that comes back and we forget all the things that we learned from the last few years. But, you know, for us, we're always looking to, we're always looking to invest in the very best companies and it's sure there's some price sensitivity and sure there's a, there's an ownership target, but ultimately I'd rather have as much as I can in the, in the very best company in the space then a lot more ownership in some kind of like, you know, fifth best player in a, in a nice to have space. And we're out of the 2021 kind of phase and back into the flight to quality phase again. Yeah. And I think it's a healthy, healthy trend. And hopefully we don't forget all the lessons, hard fought lessons that we learned over the last few, few years. Hopefully they're, they're here to stay. Well, awesome, man. I know we have five minutes to a fairly important uh, LP meeting. So I think I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Any crazy uh, right excited off for... Right off the cuff, what do you got? Any, any crazy predictions? Any, what do you got on crypto? Anything? What, what's, yeah, I mean... What's on Scott? Crypto's going to go crazy again in 2024. You think so? I don't, I, I don't know if it's on my mind, but I think <laughs> it will go crazy for a shorter period of time. I think everyone's going to think it's another big bull run. It's kind of going to be a bit of a... A rug ETFs pull, I, got accepted. We'll see. Oh, hasn't done anything. Okay, yeah. this is not investment advice. We have to make the disclaimer. But uh, okay, so <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. I, my my crazy one. It, would be like, I think it'll go crazy in about two months. All right, he's pegging April. I think it was his comment to me on the hike. So we'll see. Yeah. Okay, not investment advice again. I think somebody other than Trump or Biden will be president. That'd be my crazy out there one. Right now, it doesn't seem likely, but. I don't know, man. I just maybe it's wishful. Thinking, we don't get but, political on here, but as a Canadian, as a third party observer, I think that would be a healthy thing to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, all we'll I'll say. So we'll see. Should we just do uh, a hyper political episode one time? Just, just, <laughs> just ranting and yeah, just exactly. get into it. We we had some interesting conversations at the offsite. Geopolitical. <laughs> Those are more rants. like future of the world is Elysium. Go see that movie if you haven't yeah. already. I actually think you can learn. You learn a ton about, you know, where the world can go from reading some of these fiction books and watching some of these fiction movies like Ready, Ready Player One, Elysium, Ayn Rand, all that type of stuff. So anyway, good pod. Let's kick off a good year. Good chat. Good chat. Here's to a big 2024. Excited, man. Let's keep it rocking. Thanks for all for listening. And of course, if you haven't signed up for the GTM newsletter, go check it out. We're going super deep on different go-to-market topics every week from some of the best in the biz so go check it out and we'll see you next week